after demonstrating from the passage that I just read, Luke 8, 22 to 25, after demonstrating that the disciples of Jesus were here despairing, Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book Spiritual Depression, says, It is very wrong for a Christian to be in such a condition. I do not care what the circumstances may be. The Christian should never be agitated. The Christian should never be beside himself like this. The Christian should never be at his wit's end. The Christian should never be in a condition where he has lost control of himself. A Christian should never, like the worldly person, be depressed, agitated, alarmed, frantic, not knowing what to do. The Christian is never meant to be carried away by his feelings, whatever they are. Never. Is Lloyd-Jones correct? Basically, yes. Remember, though, that he said, should not, or should never. Not, are not, or are never. It is the reality that we will be, from time to time, carried away by our feelings, and overwhelmed by depression, agitation, alarm, etc. In fact, over the last couple of weeks, until actually Wednesday of this week, I myself was overcome with feelings of despair. I suspect that we all have, at times, felt the same. We felt overcome. And what do we do with these feelings? What do we do in these seasons? I was reading Spiritual Depression by Lloyd-Jones this week and found some help in his chapter which is based on these verses that we're looking at this morning. Luke 8, 22-25 in which Jesus' disciples are experiencing despair. And it was a good reminder for me of things, some things that I already knew but that I had neglected to apply to myself in the current situation. I'm sure you can relate where uh, you understand in your head certain things and yet they're not really hitting the ground in your everyday life. And it was also helpful to me in deepening my own understanding of the dynamics of the human heart and the dynamics of my heart. So I hope to share with you this morning some of the meditations that have been abound to my soul this week, either to help you if you are going through a time of some despair, or if not at the moment, and everything is great, to give you a vaccination, which might help you at a future time of temptation and trouble. So let's begin with a close examination of the text. The first thing I want to point out to you is that in this case, the disciples really were in danger. They really were in danger. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 23, which is a parallel passage, says it this way, the boat was swamped by the waves. We can all imagine if we've not experienced being out on a very rough sea. You could, if you've ever been up to the north of the island... You could imagine something like the, the swell, swelling, uh, rising and falling of the water up at Animal Flower Cave and the way that the 
water just crashes against the cliffs. And you imagine if you were in a little boat there, you'd be in big trouble. And you can obviously imagine when things get stormy, it gets worse there and elsewhere. You imagine being out on the sea or out on the lake in a storm and the boat being swamped by the waves. You understand that even if you know how to swim, you're in big trouble. We need to distinguish between irrational despair and rational despair. I'm going to say that what I've been experiencing over the last little while was irrational despair. There's really no good reason for it. Everything is actually going reasonably well. My family is reasonably healthy and well, I think, as far as I am aware. So am I. So is the church. There's actually really no reasonable grounds for it. And yet, never mind, the feelings come. But you can't attach it to a reason. That's what I mean by irrational. In this case, however, the disciples had what we might call rational despair. The boat was being swamped by the waves. Sometimes a church is splitting and people are angry with one another and there's conflict and great stress. Or a family is splitting. Perhaps the parents are going through a divorce or something else is happening in the family. Sometimes there's chaos at work or you've lost your job and you feel despairing, but you can actually attach it to a reason. That's what I mean by rational despair. So bear that distinction in mind. The disciples go to Jesus and they say in verse 24, Master, Master, we are perishing. This is not a genteel, Master, Master, excuse me, Master, we are perishing. Pardon me, Lord, but... We are perishing. In Mark 4 and 38, they say, do you not care that we are perishing? Right? This is, this is more like as I read it. Master! Master! We are perishing. Or in more colloquial terms, we're all going to die. But this is attached to a reason. Right? So there is, a, there is a reason connected to their despair. And this is how they're feeling. They're overwhelmed by it. It's not under control. They're not merely acknowledging the facts. They're overwhelmed by it. Lloyd-Jones suggests that when they say we are perishing, that they're including Jesus in it. Like we, all of us, even you, are perishing. In Matthew 8.25, they say, save us, Lord. Which leads me to think maybe... Not what Lloyd-Jones said. That they have some sense that Jesus isn't going to perish. And that He can rescue them. Then Jesus says to them, where is your faith? Lloyd-Jones offers a suggestion here that the sense of it is, where is your faith grounded? Or, or in what direction is your faith oriented? Like, where is your faith? In yourselves? In your navigational skills? To navigate through stormy waters in yourselves to bail water out of the boat or in me, like where, in whom, in what direction is your faith oriented? Again, though, I have to disagree here because in the parallel passage in Matthew 8 and 26, he says, O ye of little faith. And in Mark 5 and 40, he says, Have you still no faith? So 
I think the sense of it is not so much where is it oriented, but what degree of it is there. And I think that that's a better way to take it. So I think we would be better to hear Jesus saying something, Oh, you who exercise such little faith. Oh, you who, in the midst of this, are not exercising faith at all. No faith, little faith. That's kind of the sense of what is going on here. So that's what's happening in the text. The disciples are overwhelmed. They're not exercising faith. Jesus rebukes them for that. And they're just panicking. As you imagine, you might be in a similar situation. We will consider this morning how this text helps us. But before we get to that, let's lay down a principle. Whatever is the solution to cases of rational despair must also be a solution to cases of irrational despair. Because we're just reasoning from the greater to the lesser. If something can fix that which is actually a problem, it can also fix that which is not even a problem. Right? If... If somebody knows how to repair a spaceship that lands on the moon, most likely they're going to be able to fix their lawnmower. Right? So sometimes we feel like we're perishing, but we're not. This irrational despair, not connected to a reason. There can be a couple of causes of this. One is depression. Sometimes uh, clinical depression affects even Christians. And this is just a physical thing like you might have a broken arm you've got a broken brain so to speak broken chemicals in your body there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that and this clinical depression maybe this is not a very medical way of describing it but um, I think it's helpful maybe for those who haven't struggled with depression to think of it this way let's say that the average person's happiness baseline is at a 5 that's like sort of normal genetics And when that person gets really happy, it it goes up, like they come home and it's Friday night, they're done work, they come home, they get some pizza, you know, rent a movie, their happiness is at a seven or eight. The day they get married or the day a kid's born, their happiness is at like 10, right? And then when they're feeling kind of sad, maybe it goes down to a three, and when they're really, really discouraged, it goes down to a one. Let's say, if someone's struggling with clinical depression, it's maybe a little bit more like this. Their baseline is at a three. And so then when, like, they're relatively happy, like, again, it's Friday, the work week's done, you know, they're with a good friend, circumstances are good, it maybe goes up to, like, a five, which is where the average person is normally, right? And, like, the best day of their life is, like, where people normally feel on a Friday night, like, every Friday night. Right, And then conversely what happens is if you're normally at a 3 then when you start to feel down you're down to like a 1 which is where people with normal chemicals feel when like tragedy strikes. Right? Just from a discouraging week. So then when tragedy strikes now you're into like negative numbers. Right? So that's maybe a description of something like that that might help us have some empathy and understanding for what people are going through when they're dealing with clinical depression. And the feelings themselves are not a sin. Right? The same way that if you feel pain in your arm, it's not a sin. Right? So if I say, how are you doing? And you say, oh, my arm really hurts. I'm not like, oh, 
you know, repent. <laughs> right? In the same way, with when we when we come to deal with people with clinical depression, I'm feeling I'm feeling down. Right? It's a it's a tough week. It's not like repent. Because there's just something wrong with the chemicals. Right? This is a physical thing. But if you can respond in a sinful way or a not sinful way to a broken arm, so you can respond in a sinful way or a not sinful way to a broken brain, for lack of a better way of explaining it. If you just utterly just give up and just stop trying to follow the Lord, just stop trying to obey the Lord, stop trying to hope in the Lord, stop trying to rejoice in the Lord, and just are like, well, I have no moral responsibility here because I'm sick. I have mental health issues. I can't do anything. Like, the Lord's going to have to bring me out of this. Like, I give up. That's, a, that's an example of a sinful response to clinical depression. Right? What we should be doing is fighting for joy in the Lord. Fighting to hope in the Lord. Fighting to believe the promises of God and apply them to our situation and so on and so forth. And more on that in a moment. But let me just say, I want to be clear here. The feelings themselves are not a sin. But what we do with those feelings has moral bearing. Okay? So, we're under this... We're expanding this point of whatever the solution to cases of rational despair must also be helpful in cases of irrational despair. We're kind of just exploring rational and irrational despair. We're in irrational despair right now. This clinical depression would be an irrational despair. Like it's not attached to a specific reason. It's just how we feel. Then spiritual attack can be a factor as well. That the scripture tells us several times that we actually have an enemy. And you've heard me say before, right? We shouldn't be looking for the devil behind every bush. Right? You you sin and oh it's like it's the demon of lust. Right? Oh, it's the demon of greed. It wasn't me. No, no, no. I'm a I'm a reasonably good person. I'm a Christian. It was the demon of like annoyance at my neighbor. Right? Or whatever, whatever demon it might be. We shouldn't have an attitude like that. But listen, the devil is behind some bushes. And he roar, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we do wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so there is a reality of spiritual warfare that we have to reckon with. And sometimes we're not necessarily dealing with clinical depression but we are still dealing with irrational despair. And we might find that all of the chemicals in our body are balanced the way that they're supposed to be. The circumstances of our lives are all reasonably healthy and normal and smooth. And there's no real specific thing going on that is making us feel this way. Sometimes in a situation like that, we would be wise to consider whether this is just a possibility of spiritual attack. So those are just a couple of examples of this irrational despair. In the extended allegory, Pilgrim's Progress, Pilgrim is making his way from the city of destruction to the celestial city. And the allegory is not that hard to figure out. He's 
His name is Christian, first of all. And he's, he's making his way from a place where if he stayed there, he would have been destroyed. But he's going to... Celestial is just another word for heavenly. To the heavenly city. Right? So this is an allegory of our lives. And at one point, he, gets, he, com- he comes against all these obstacles along the way. And at one point, he finds himself in Giant Despair's castle. And Giant Despair is just as cruel as can be. He, he beats them... Uh, him and his friend, he even tells them they should just kill themselves and be done with it. You know, why even allow your lives to go on? Just, I'll be back to beat you again tomorrow. Why don't you just put yourselves out of your own misery, basically. Listen, sometimes we find ourselves as Christians in giant despair's castle as we make our way to the celestial city. And sometimes there's not a specific reason that we can attach to that. But sometimes we find our giant, ourselves in Giant Despair's castle and we can attach a reason to it. We know why we're despairing. There's an issue. We actually are perishing, at least in an earthly sense. We'll find out in a few moments. We're never really perishing, ultimately. But the boat was being swamped by the waves. It really was. Again, as I said a few moments ago, sometimes churches split. Sometimes families split. Sometimes you do lose your job. Sometimes things like this happen. And we really are perishing in an earthly sense. Things are really going south for us, at least in terms of our temporal circumstances. Think of Jesus in the garden. He was so overwhelmingly sorrowful that he was sweating drops of blood really grieving crying out Lord if it is possible let this cup pass from me in 2 Corinthians 1 we read of the difficulties of Paul on his missionary journey and he says that we despaired of life itself. There were reasons attached to it. Persecutions and other various things. Shipwrecks and all kinds of adversity. And he could attach reasons to it. Just as Jesus could attach reasons to it in the garden. But this despair comes over us. In the modern day, Christians really are being persecuted. Even now, like at this moment. In places in the world, Christians are suffering persecution. In this world we live in, terrible things happen. You think of the Holocaust. Car accidents. Christians were not exempt from these things. I don't... I'm not, I don't mean to put this on the same level, but at the moment there's this concern about the coronavirus. Well, listen, Christians can get sick from the coronavirus. You just can't decree and declare that this is going to pass by you. That's not how it works. Sometimes bad things happen to us. And we begin to feel despair. And we can attach a reason to it. We can connect a reason to our despair. That's the distinction between irrational and rational 
despair. To reiterate the point that I want to lay down, the principle that I want to lay down before we go on. Whatever is the solution to dealing with rational despair, surely it is the same solution to dealing with irrational despair. Because if there actually is something wrong, and yet you can work your way through that in a certain way, surely that's still going to help you when there's actually really nothing wrong. And what is the solution? Is this. Exercise faith. Jesus rebukes the disciples in this passage. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Why isn't it operative? Why is your faith not functioning? O ye who are of such little faith. Why have you no faith? Why are you not exercising faith? Jesus rebukes the disciples for being overwhelmed when their boat was being swamped by the waves. Consider that. Their boat was being swamped by the waves and they were freaking out. And Jesus is like, you shouldn't be freaking out. Where is your faith? Consider that. So again, your boat, for whatever reason, the winds or the currents or whatever, gets pushed in by the cliffs up at Animal Flower Cave. And here you are in this small little boat. And you're down there freaking out. Jesus would rebuke that. You understand? That's kind of what was happening here. This is why in the beginning, Lloyd-Jones said, I don't care what the circumstances The Christian should never be like the disciples in this passage. Understand, their boat was being swamped by the waves. They were in a precarious situation. Most of us would be like, well, it's only human. It's only reasonable. In fact, if if one of us had the gall to tell another, brother, why are you so overwhelmed by this? Right? We would say, oh, you're not gracious. Right? You're not, very, you're not very sensitive. You're not very loving. But in a situation like that, right? It's like if, if I'm up at the top of the cliff and you're down there in the boat. And I'm like, calm down. <laughs> you're a Christian. Have faith. Understand that this is the import of what Jesus is doing in this passage. This is a real historical event. The boat was being swamped by the waves. All the disciples did was just freak out. Like, we're all going to die. Master, wake up. We're perishing. But Jesus offers a rebuke. And His rebuke is that they're not exercising faith. Lloyd-Jones in his chapter and spiritual depression on this passage distinguishes between faith functioning something like a thermostat and faith functioning something like stepping on a snake and keeping it under your boot. Let me explain those two. In Canada, you have to have a heating system in your house or you're going to (laughs) die. Um, 
they all have they all have a thermostat. Or well, I shouldn't say they all. Most of them have a thermostat. At least most of the newer technologies have a thermostat, which means when the temperature drops below whatever you've set it to, it'll click in. So Canadians are not um, as accustomed to the heat and warmth as Beijing's, as you might imagine. So people, most people, set their thermostat around 21. So if it's above 21, there's no heat going in the house. I find that cold. Even before I left Canada, but this is how people do. Some people set it at 18, 17. Yeah, I go visit my parents and I'm like freezing. Wake up in the morning, put on track pants, put on a hoodie, and this was before I even moved here, before I even left Canada. So now visiting back, I find it even all the more cold. But the point is that when it drops below a certain temperature, there's nothing you have to do to the heating system. It just kicks in automatically. Because of the therm- the thermostat, some people think of faith something like this. I'm a Christian. I have faith. It will just function automatically. I don't have to give any attention to it. I don't have to be active and engaged in the exercise of it because I'm a Christian. I have it. I possess it. It's set. Look at it. It's right there on my wall. I turned the dial to where it needs to be. When I need faith, it will kick in because I'm a Christian. Some people think of faith like that. But Lloyd-Jones rightly says faith is not like that. Faith is more like stepping on the, the head or the neck of a snake and keeping it down. If you take your foot off, it's going to bite you. And so you have to actively keep your foot there. And it's the choice that you make and the action that you take and the effort that you put in to keeping your unbelief at bay which is faith because your unbelief is always wanting to strike at you despair is always wanting to strike at you anger is always wanting to strike at you lust is always wanting to strike at you whatever it is, sin is always wanting to strike at you And so you need to keep your foot on the head or on the neck of the serpent so that it is not presently a threat to you. That's much more what faith is like. And so you don't go to sleep when you have your head on a king cobra or your foot on the head of a king cobra. You you go to sleep when your thermostat is set because you know if the temperature drops in the night, it will kick in and you don't have to do anything. But you don't go to sleep when you got your foot on the head of a snake because you know that you're going to move and the snake's going to kill you. The implication of Jesus' rebuke of his disciples here is that when we are feeling despair, we ought to exercise faith. That's what the disciples should have done in this instance. If they had done that, Jesus would not have rebuked them. That was the response from the disciples that Jesus expected. That Jesus says they should have offered in that instance, to that circumstance. When we are feeling despair, or anything else, but despair is in view here. Any sin that wants to creep in. When we are tempted to give in to sinful temptations, sinful feelings 
to, to let our feelings control us instead of the truth of God's Word. We need to exercise faith. This morning, despair is in view, so I'm going to zoom in there. But this is how the spiritual life works generally. We live by faith. With respect to despair, when these feelings come, and remember, the feelings are not necessarily a sin. Right? Jesus felt certainly some feelings of despair in the garden. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 1, we despaired of life itself. Clinical depression. We might feel the feelings. It's not a sin. But what do you do with it? Where do you go from there? What response is required? That's where you need to exercise faith instead of letting these things overcome you. Imagine if Paul had shrunk from his missionary journeys because of the despair that he felt and experienced. Imagine horror of horrors if Christ had shrunk from the cross because of the despair that he was feeling in the garden. So feeling it is not a sin, but letting it control you, letting it overwhelm you. That's what Lloyd-Jones is pushing against in his chapter, and that's what Jesus is rebuking the disciples for in this passage. They let it overwhelm them. The boat was being swamped by the waves, and the disciples were being swamped by despair. You might feel it, but don't let it swamp you. Faith is bailing the water out of the boat so that it doesn't overwhelm you. Something like that. So what do we put our faith in? What do we lay hold of? What do we believe to keep the despair at bay? That we won't sink? But what if we do? That we won't get the coronavirus? But what if we do? That as a Christian Jew living in Germany in 1942, that you're not going to die in a concentration camp? Well, what if you do? That you're not going to be in a car accident or no one you love is going to be in a car accident? But what if they are? It's wishful thinking. To act as if suffering is just always going to pass us by and that some of our fears won't be realized. Sometimes they are and sometimes they will. That's a reality that we have to reckon with. And if if our faith is basically like, just believe it's all going to turn out alright. Believe that circumstances are going to get better. Well, that doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold up to the standard of scripture and it doesn't hold up to real life either. In fact, many people make a shipwreck of their supposed faith on that basis. They're like, I believed in God and then He let me down. Right? I believed in God, but then I found that He wasn't maybe as good or as trustworthy or as loving as the Scripture said because X, Y, Z happened and it proved it wrong. So what is our faith in? Our faith is in the truth that we will, as Christians, those who have trusted in Christ Jesus, who have rested all our hope on Christ Jesus, our faith is in the truth that we will ultimately be okay. That we will ultimately be okay. In Isaiah chapter 43, God speaks this promise to his people, which is certainly 
applicable to the church as we have come to have a share in all of the things promised to Abraham and his offspring. We have become children of Abraham by faith. Now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Fear not. When you pass through the waters, fear not. When you pass through the rivers, fear not. When you walk through the fire, fear not. He's not saying here, you're not going to go through the waters. He's not saying here, you're not going to go through the rivers. And he's not saying here, you're not going to go through the fire. But he says, when you go through these things, fear not. Why? Because I am with you and I have redeemed you. Listen again. Fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, when you walk through the fire and the flame. We sing, when through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with thee. Based on this chapter, Isaiah 43. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. Even down to old age, all my people shall prove my sovereign, eternal, unchangeable love. And then when gray hairs shall their temples adorn, like lambs, they shall still in my bosom be born. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not, I cannot desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. And because God will never, no, never, no, never forsake, Lloyd-Jones says, the Christian is never meant to be carried away by his feelings, whatever they are. Never. Another old hymn says, Some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire. God leads His dear children along. Through the waters, through the flood, through the fire. You are not exempt from these things, Christian. Some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire but all through the blood. We will ultimately be okay because, as Isaiah 43 says, God is with us. 
He has redeemed us. Christian, Christ is in the boat. When we think and believe the truth, instead of just going with our feelings, we find that the weightiest factor affecting our destiny is not whatever waves we're facing, but Christ who is in the boat. You see, because Christ Jesus came into this world, took on our nature in order to offer up to God acceptable obedience in our nature, in order to receive in Himself the penalty due to us for our sin, in order that death, sin, hell, the devil would not have the last word in order that when we pass through the fires, we would not be burned. In order that when we pass through the waters, they would not overwhelm us. He came to be with us, to redeem us, so that He could say, fear not. Because Christ Jesus lived and died and rose. And because He is in the church. In fact, every one of His people, as we saw last week. We, collectively, you as an individual, me as an individual, need not fear. Our sins are forgiven. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. And so, yes, We may lose a battle, but we shall win the war. Yes, we may sink, but we will emerge from the depths. Yes, the flames may engulf us, but one day we will come out of the fiery furnace. Yes, they may crucify us, but the stone will one day be rolled away. Yes, we may literally die, but Christ will resurrect us. Because of this, even rational despair that you can attach to a reason is actually also, in the final analysis, irrational. Because even when you can attach your despair to something, Like, this is why I'm despairing. My boat is being swamped by the waves. I have cancer. My marriage is falling apart. My church is splitting. Whatever the case may be. Christ. Christian. I'm speaking to Christians. Christ has redeemed you. Christ is in you. Christ is with you. You're not going to be exempt from the fire. You're not going to be exempt from the flood. You're not going to be exempt from the rivers, the waters. But they shall not overwhelm you. You shall not be burned up. Sin, death, the assaults of hell, they will not have the last word. 
because they won't have the last word, they are not the most weighty things. The most weighty thing affecting your destiny, Christian, is not the waves, but Christ who is in the boat. And so even in cases of rational despair, in the final analysis, they are irrational. So it is with our irrational despair. Of course. The exercise of faith then. Keeping your head. Pardon me. Keeping your foot on the head of the snake. Is remembering the truth. Reminding yourself of the truth. Yes there are waves. Yes there are rivers. Yes there is water. Yes there is fire. Yes there are floods. God leads some through the waters and some through the flood, some through the fire. But He leads us all, including me, through the blood. And so fear not, my soul within me. Speak to yourself instead of listening to yourself. Fear not, my soul within me, for He has redeemed me. And He is with me. Christ is in the boat. Go by what you know. Not what you feel. Respond to the waves, not with panic, but with faith. Christ is in the boat. Don't despair. Fight despair with faith.